Welcome to Arts Express. This is Prairie Miller and on the show. We did it, gang. We pulled it off. A family reunion at Disney. I don't know about you guys. The first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to ride that haunted elevator thingy. <laughs> it drops you straight down. <laughs> Welcome to the Mickey's Breakfast Jamboree. My name is Billiam, and I'll be serving you today. You guys here on a special occasion? Well, we're here on that new Magical Gatherings family package. Got the whole Matusik clan down from Ohio. Right, guys? Say hi. Hi! Well, great. Let me tell you Mickey specials today. We've got steak and eggs served with some home fries and Mickey waffles. Woo! I love me some steak and eggs. <laughs> Ever since they found mad cow disease in the U.S., I'm not taking any chances. It can live in your body for years before it ravages your brain. <laughs> kiddo. Gluten allergies are rampant in our family. You're gonna eventually have to restrict. So my apple didn't fall far from the tree. Hey, where are you guys going? Rachel Dratch portraying her most unforgettable and most notorious character, Debbie Downer, embarking on a summer trip with some of Saturday Night Live's usual suspects to Disney World, and Downer messing up their summer vacation with grim details about what's going down in the real world all around them, but in a way a kind of showdown satire of shallow minds versus, well, the 24-7 socially conscious reality surrounding them. And Rachel Dratch is our guest today to delve into, says Dratch, the Debbie Downer that lives inside of me, along with her current starring role in I Love My Dad as Patton Oswalt's unconventional girlfriend roped into impersonating the voice on the phone to entice Oswalt's alienated son into a reconciliation. First, a little more from Rachel's Debbie Downer persona turning up in a gas mask during a wedding party as the COVID crisis drags on. Then, Rachel Dratch. Ladies and gentlemen, let's hear some noise for our newly hitched Mr. and Mrs. who have been stealing some kisses. Mark and Liz McKellen, y'all! Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, I never thought that Liz would settle down, but Mark is the perfect match. To happily ever after. Uh, happily ever yes. after. <laughs> <laughs> is, this, is this table nine? Oh, whoa. Uh, yes, it is. It sure is. We're in the fun table. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Looks uh, like you're going to have to take the, the mask off to eat less. You're going to poke a little hole in the middle there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't worry. None of us are sick. We're just a little tipsy. <laughs> well, unfortunately... Unfortunately, with COVID-19, you can display no symptoms and still be wildly contagious. Hi, I'm Debbie. Enjoy your day, everything's going your way, and along comes Debbie Downer. Always there to tell you about a new disease, a car accident, or killer bees. You beg her to spare you, Debbie, please, but you can't stop Debbie Downer. That's a pretty elaborate mask. It kind of looks futuristic, isn't it? Mm, I bought one of the 
N95s on Amazon. They say to forego masks, but good luck nabbing one when we're facing a worldwide pandemic. Yeah, I I'm sure we're all gonna be okay. <laughs> so, Debbie, maybe we should introduce ourselves. Oh, yeah, table nine. Table nine. <laughs> I'm Liz, aunt. Uh, I'm Liz's aunt Karen, and this is my daughter Mindy. Yes, and I'm cousin Hank, and this is Uncle Gary. And why are you here? Hi. I don't know. I mean, how, how do you know the happy couple? Oh, um, I'm Mark's first cousin once removed for trespassing. <laughs> how about a little drink? Maybe that'll, you know, loosen you up a little? Oh, I don't want to drink too much. Last time I drank, I was almost me tooed. Oh, that's terrible. Did someone take advantage of you? Well, now, why would you delve? <laughs> just lunch dates and choked on a crouton. My date had to give me the Heimlich. He clearly thought the bottom of my rib cage was much higher. Hashtag not buying it. Question, do we have to stay at our assigned tables? <laughs> yeah, Debbie, why don't you go say hi to the bride and groom? Oh, okay. Hey, congrats, you guys. This is a really beautiful wedding. I wanted to give you my gift, though. Here, open it. I made a donation in your name to my favorite charity. Oh, thanks. Oh, a $25 donation to Pounce for a cure. Mm-hmm. A cure for what? What? No, don't, don't ask that. Don't. <laughs> Feline AIDS. It's the number one killer of domestic cats. Meow, meow. Debbie, you know, uh, they're serving the entree, so why don't you go sit down and stuff your mouth with good food? Okay. Enjoy, guys. Yes. Oh, I'm ready for my beef. Yeah, these mashed potatoes look like heaven. <laughs> After we eat, I vote we get a line dance. Oh, yeah. yeah. Hey, <laughs> speaking of voting, how do you guys feel about Trump? <laughs> Welcome to the show, Rachel. Thank you. Now, which of your many characters on Saturday Night Live as Debbie Downer or anywhere else would you say you feel closest to and why? Ooh, wow, that's getting deep. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, the one, you know, there's a Debbie Downer that lives inside of me. So I guess, um, <laughs> I, like Debbie Downer sort of came about, well, a long story of how it came about, but one of the aspects of Debbie Downer is like, you know, that's like me, and like, someone's like, oh, it's really nice out today, and, th and I'm thinking, like, yeah, because of climate change, you know, that kind of thing. So that's like a little <laughs> voice in my head. Um, and then that's the one people seem to sort of, like, approach me about the most, and, and most people come up and they say, like, oh, my gosh, that's my sister, or that's my mom, or whatever. Um, and then I like doing the Boston character just because that's where I'm from, and mm. so that, that was always, like, you know, I could just flip into that in a second, so... Those are probably my faves. And would you say Saturday Night Live has changed your life? And if so, how? Oh, yes. <laughs> um, well, I mean, you know, it kind of puts you on the map, comedic, whatever, <laughs> comedically speaking. I don't know. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's definitely the, like, the big break. You know, it doesn't get any more big breaky than that. So um, definitely changed my life. And um, not only that, it was, you know, you know, it definitely had a lot of pinch-me moments while I was on the show. Because, you know, I grew up watching it, and you never imagined you'd actually be on it. So, um, yeah. Now, Rachel, what led you to want to come on board and play Erica in I Love My Dad? Oh, well, um, I was really um, riveted by the actual, just the script itself. Like, even if I wasn't a part of it, I just, you know, sometimes you get sent scripts, and this one was a real page turner because I'm just I was really into this whole psychological dynamics of the whole thing and then um 
in terms of Erica, I, I love that the whole tone of the script and of this character was both comedic and grounded in reality. And um, she, Erica is a character who has like a lot of sort of dichotomies to her. Like she's she's kind of a tough broad in a way, which is a part I don't usually play. But then also she's sort of vulnerable too. And um, so I just like that it, I could see how I could get laughed with it, but also I was attracted to do something that I don't often do, like playing someone a little more real. And what was it like having Patton Oswald as your weird boyfriend in the movie? Oh, um, well, we had actually been played a couple together years ago on King of Queens for a number of episodes. I was his dorky girlfriend. So um, that was like obviously a very different tone. But, um, you know, I just I you can always count on Patton to to be this just so knowledgeable about what choice to make comically. So um so it was really fun working with him on this in a in a whole different tone. And um especially in the scene where he's sort of uh, coaching me on what to say to like this phone prank thing that he has me involved in. That was really fun cuz he he was getting just more and more frantic but he had to be quiet so the person on the phone couldn't hear. So that was a really fun thing to do on camera. And if you were making a movie, I Love My Dad, what would you include on the subject? If I were making a movie called I Love My Dad, what would I include uh-huh. in it? Like my own dad? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, I mean, my dad, he, he passed away five years ago, but he was like the funniest guy in the room. And he was he was not an actor, but he, he really influenced my comedy. So, um, you know, there's... I don't, I, he just... He's like my first comedy teacher, basically. So I don't know what the movie would be, but um, he was a he was a really funny he was the funniest radiologist you'll ever meet. <laughs> and how much would you say you are Debbie Downer in real life, or not? <laughs> <laughs> well, there is definitely a Debbie Downer that lives inside of me. <laughs> and, um, I think I, I I often censor myself, like what I want to say, so that I'm not Debbie Downer. But um, I do read a lot of dour news. <laughs> <laughs> and then I don't know where to put it. So I guess that's how this character came about. Yeah. And what can you say about Saturday Night Live and its impact on your life? Oh, my gosh. Well, I mean, SNL is like the comedian's dream job, especially sketch and improv. So, I mean, I still have to pinch myself I was even on it. And it's, it's impact on my life is like once you're on SNL, you know, you're kind of in the tribe sort of. So, I mean, it definitely doesn't guarantee like a skyrocket career for every single person. But it's, you know, to say that I was on SNL and like you have this sort of same language, comedy language with everyone that was on it. So I'm still in really good touch with a lot of people that were on it. And we all kind of like cast each other and work together. And it's sort of this club for life that I'm so grateful I got to be in. And Rachel, as a comedian, have you felt affected by cancel culture and what you want to say as a comedian? And after what happened to Chris Rock and now Dave Chappelle on stage, do you fear for yourself in that regard as a performer and especially as a woman? Um, I don't feel like I have per se. Like, I think that probably affects stand-ups a lot more who are out there, you know, having to walk a line that maybe they didn't have to walk before or maybe think differently about, you know, what is comedy, what's offensive. Like, but that's the whole thing that as a sketch person, I haven't really had to involve myself. I haven't, I, I don't know. I guess I don't. I just don't really think in those terms because, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I guess I I just associate that very much with stand-ups or I guess people that are creating shows. But just for me to, like, play a part. And then, like, I write really goopy things. Like, I wrote, the last thing I wrote was with um, Anna Gasteyer. We did this parody of a Hallmark Christmas movie. So it wasn't like um, we're going to get canceled (laughs) parody of a Hallmark Christmas movie. And what can you say about what you'll be up to in Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse? And what led you to go for playing the principal? Oh, well, I mean, that was one of those, like, out of the blue, oh, my God, you get this phone call, you're going to be in Spider-Verse. That was just, like, amazing. Um, and it really scored me points with my 11-year-old. It's probably the thing he's most excited about. Um, but, yeah, that was, you know, I saw the first one, and to be involved in the movie is really cool. So we already... We already, I did the voice um, like last summer, and then I got to see the the animation of it, and it's really funny because they they kind of made her look a little bit like me, <laughs> and I didn't expect that, but it's really funny to see. So the scene itself has a lot of 
comedy to it. So um, I just felt really lucky to wedge some some comedy in there and uh, in a, a movie you might not you know expect to be mm. haha funny. Yeah. And any last word on I Love My Dad? I got to see it at the South by Southwest Festival. And, um, you know, I hadn't been in a movie theater in a really long time because of the pandemic. And um, it was so fun to see with the crowd. It was almost like being on a roller coaster with a group because, like, with every, you know, like, moment of, you know, the, the lives that beget other lives and the uncomfortable situations, everything, it was almost like the whole audience was going, like, no, like, all together. So, and then breaking out the laughter. So, that was a fun aspect of it. Okay, thanks, Rachel, for calling in. All right, thank you. This is so amazing. This is such a special night, and I am surrounded by everyone that matters to me, especially you, Chad. Well, your friend better get here soon, because I think they're about to start. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I bet you're the, the only person to take your first babysitter to the Oscars. Well, we used to put on plays in my living room, and that's when I really fell in love with acting. Oh, my God! Here she is! Hi, Deb! Hey! Hey! Sorry I'm late. There was an accident on the 405. From the looks of it, there may have been fatalities. You gotta assume that when they bring out the jaws of life. I'm so glad you're here. Chad, this is Debbie. She used to babysit me. Hi, nice to meet you, Debbie. Hi. Wow, Hillary, you really look like a movie star. Oh, you look nice, too. Yeah. It's hard to find dresses that hang right on my frame. Way to go, scoliosis. (laughs) So you got the speech ready, Hillary? (laughs) You better be thanking us. (laughs) Come on, guys. Ooh, check out the diamonds. Oh, Harry Winston. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just think. One of those diamonds could probably pay to rebuild countless homes destroyed by the tsunami. Uh, okay, guys, I think it's um, about to start. Okay, wow. Hey, wow, that's a pretty big ribbon. Oh, yeah, I had a normal size one till two weeks ago when they discovered the super strain. So this was your favorite babysitter? Well, I guess back then I thought she was dark and cool, but now I see she's just a huge ass ache. Well, here's the good news. The show's only six hours long. And uh, if you're getting a new puppy, do me a favor. Check it for ringworm. Makes rabies look like the common cold. (laughs) Boy, that was my favorite part of the night, honoring those we lost this year. Sad thing is, most of those deaths were preventable. Why doesn't she just shut it? Coming up next, the Oscar for Best Actress. I can't take it anymore. You know what, Debbie? You're a nightmare. This was supposed to be one of the best nights of my life, and all you've done is talk about death, tragedy, and the fact your fancy shoes are aggravating your planter's warts. Don't, don't blame me. Blame the pool area at the La Quinta Inn. I don't even want to find out who wins. I'm getting a drink. Mm. Looks like it's just you and me. Well, nice going, Debbie. Now there's no way I'm going to get thanked. Again. Sorry, guys. I can't make it to the after party. Finger foods do a real number on my GI tract. And I Love My Dad is out now in release. And next up on the show, Band Online, broadcast on Arts Express. While we're on the subject of impersonations, it seems that those Russian pranksters, Vovan and Lexis, have been at it again. This time phoning up eminent filmmaker David Lynch, posing once more as Ukraine President Zelensky. In this Arts Express Cancel Culture Uncancelled episode, as this interview has curiously disappeared online, 
the director known for Twin Peaks, Dune, Mulholland Drive, and Wild at Heart, urges Zelensky to, quote, fix this thing, have a beer with Putin, have a couple of beers. Here's that conversation. But first, to set the truth stranger-than-fiction mood, some scenes from David Lynch's Dune. A beginning is a very delicate time. Know then that it is the year 10,191. In this time, the most precious substance in the universe is the spice melange. The spice extends life. The spice exists on only one planet in the entire universe. The planet is Arrakis, also known as Dune. You are about to enter a world where the unexpected... Many dangers exist on Arrakis. The unknown an incredible secret had been kept on this planet. And the unbelievable meet. I see two great houses. Where kingdoms are built on Earth that moves. We have worm sign the likes of which even God has never seen. And skies are filled with fire. The prophecy which will cleanse the universe and bring us out of darkness. Where a young warrior is called upon to free his people. A world that holds creation's greatest treasure. He who controls the spice controls the universe. And greatest terrors. A world where the mighty... This is genocide. The deliberate and systematic destruction of all life on Arrakis. The mad. I will kill her! I will love you forever. And the magical... Father, the sleeper has awakened! ...will have their final battle. Long live the fighters! Do not show the slightest pity or mercy! spectacular journey through the wonders of space and the mysteries of time from the boundaries of the incredible to the borders of the impossible a world beyond your experience beyond your imagination It's my pleasure, President Zelensky, and I'm very happy to be talking to you. And my job today is to tell you about the peace greeting groups that I wrote to you about Mm -hmm. and to encourage you to support a peace greeting group for Ukraine. It's time for peace. And the technologies for real peace exist. We got to take advantage of them and establish these peace greeting groups. For Ukraine, a population of 44 million, all you need is the square root of 1%, which is 700, about 700 peace creating experts practicing these technologies day in and day out on a permanent basis, and it will bring and establish and keep peace for Ukraine. The technologies for peace, believe it or not, are way more powerful than the technologies for war and killing. This field within, non-relative absolute, there's the field of relativity, and underlying that is non-relative absolute. This field within, the field of being, of pure bliss consciousness, a field of peace can be enlivened and affect the whole world with peace, happiness, universal love. People don't, when you enliven this, people don't want to hurt one another. 
They want to be friends. They want to zoom forward and solve the problems of the world. Concentrate on peace. Concentrate on ending this war and then on peace, permanent peace after. Should I should I talk to Putin uh, directly to make this agreement? Yes, you should talk to him directly. Mm -hmm. You should talk to him directly. Call him up on the phone. Have a virtual dinner with him, and talk about things and get real. This is ridiculous. Wherever there is problems, he has something he wants. You have something you want. You talk about it over a virtual dinner and fix this thing. So you think I should to have a beer with him or what? Yes, have a beer with him. Okay. You know, yeah. yeah have it's... a couple of beers. <clears throat> you can talk to President Putin about that. Having your beer, maybe some food, and... Talk about these things and realize that both of you are human beings. But you know that you have met with my colleague, um, Pyotr Poroshenko. So, yes, I met with him. Did you drink something with him? <laughs> I drank a coffee, I think. I believe I drank a coffee with him. Okay. I think that he's an alcoholic. <laughs> I didn't have time to drink any alcohol with him. Um, it's sad. It's sad. Stopping it whatever way you can. Talk to Putin and 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 think peace. Think friendship. Think, you know, getting along and and helping each other. Hello, hello, hello. Uh, testing, one, two, three. Hello. My name is Polly Vandersma, and I'm a Girl Friday. Well, actually, I became a person Friday a couple years ago. I didn't change the job very much. Anyways, my new boss was a curator. She loved to talk about art things. I could never really... I can never really talk to them about all the things I think about sometimes. And all the things I've seen. Patricia Rosema, and I'm inviting you to see my first film, I've Heard the Mermaid Singing. This is Patricia Rosema. Gosh, you know, sometimes I think my head is like a, a gas tank. You have to be really careful what you put into it, because it might just affect the whole system. I mean, isn't life the strangest thing you've ever seen? And now, in the Arts Express Playhouse, granted, offered up for your listener approval. Stay tuned and all will be revealed. Quote, the answer might just surprise you, or will it? We'll bring you the shocking reveal in just a moment. Hi, this is Jack Shalom. This week I was imagining a radio station that is in dire financial straits, deciding the only way out of its financial difficulties was to take on underwriting sponsorships, you know, like you hear on NPR or PBS. Now, 
I, I know that's a completely hypothetical situation. It, it would never happen at a place like this, Pacifica, WBAI. After all, here we have a 60-plus years tradition of not taking commercials. But we understand that there have been some noises being made about accepting underwriting grants. So in the spirit of helpfulness, we've gone ahead and written some copy for some underwriting blurbs for our various shows, and I'd like to offer them up now for your approval. We think they might sound something like this. This has been our weekly environmental news show, Ecologic, brought to you by an underwriting grant from Carl's Crop Dusters, promising you blue skies every morning. And if you don't like blue skies, we can make them brown, orange, gold, or even nuclear fission purple. The possibilities are endless. And don't forget to ask Carl for a complimentary ride in the duster after the first 25 springs. Or maybe this. You've been listening to Radio Gag, Gays Against Guns, brought to you by your local Chick-fil-A. We promise our LGBTQ plus listeners that they'll take care of you, all right? They'll take care of you. Well, and, and also, let's not forget Democracy Now! This portion of the show is sponsored by Liz Cheney's Hobby Hut off the side of a side road somewhere in the Iraqi desert. Or, welcome to Law and Order, your weekly report on the nation's justice system, brought to you by the good folks at Jerry's Jailbirds for all your law enforcement fashion needs. Whether it's a bulletproof, shatter-resistant helmet, a shiny sheriff's badge, or a gun holster colored puce for that new AR-15 you've just picked up, Jerry's Jailbirds has got you covered. And I'm certainly looking forward to Building Bridges, your weekly labor report made possible by a grant from the Atlantic Avenue Starbucks. Starbucks, the coffee that you can't resist. In fact, you better not resist or you'll be fired. Or, as we move forward through the schedule, up next, Black Agenda Report will be brought to you by Klaus's Tiki Torch Emporium. Their 20-foot torches are guaranteed to light your fire and so much more, serving your front garden burning needs since 1863. And be sure to visit our linens department, where we run our never-ending white sales. Now, I know some will say that such conflicts of interest don't have to be inevitable with careful oversight and planning. In fact, to discourage any sponsor censorship of the programs, there will be a strict wall erected between the advertising and editorial departments. And that wall will be brought to you by a generous grant from the nonpartisan Trump-Biden Immigrant Wall Construction Corporation. And to further ensure transparency, oversight will be provided by a charitable donation from Google, earmarked for the complete surveillance of all transactions that occur on site. And in continuing good news, Google has offered to keep track of all member information for the station. Now, you might say that this is a bit of an exaggeration. After all, couldn't we just put in a clause that would eliminate such corporations from giving money that would influence the programming? And the answer is no. And I'd tell you the reason for that but you'll have to wait for a few moments because I have to do a sponsor ID. Arts Express is brought to you by Sam's Organic Fish Shack. Remember, if it smells fishy, it's Sam's. Okay, I'm back. Where was I? Oh, yes, underwriting. So here's the thing. If you have a clause in the sponsorship contracts that the proposed business cannot be anti-labor, which sounds like a good thing to have, well, then you're effectively limiting all businesses. Because if there's anything we've learned from Capitalism 101, it's that all privately owned businesses that employ workers are inherently anti-labor. They have to exploit labor in order to make a profit. Even the nicest guy in the world who runs a pizza shop with a couple of helpers is making profit off the worker's labor. If they've got enough excess money to advertise, Guess where that money is coming from? Workers. So does that mean we can never take donations from wealthy donors? Well, you can, 
But a reliance on wealthy donors very soon gets a station in trouble. That money becomes salaries and annual programs, which need to be fed every year with yet more rich people money if they are not to collapse. And before you know it, it's the rich people calling the shots. So how does a listener-sponsored station survive? The answer just might surprise you, or will it? We'll bring you the shocking reveal in just a moment. But first, a word from our underwriter. Hello, Arts Express listeners. This is Harry from Harry's Bagel Hole, the restaurant that gives you the whole schmear. For a limited time only, as, as a special promotion for Arts Express listeners, Harry's Bagel Hole is offering a dozen bagel holes for the price of 11. We don't give you dough, just the nothing center. These holes are so light and airy, perfect for those who are fasting. You could eat a million of them and you won't gain weight. And they won't take any space on your refrigerator shelf. At Harry's, we give you the whole hole and nothing but the hole. No disgusting dough or pumpernickel seeds. And that's the whole, whole truth and nothing but. Thank you, Harry. Uh, well, we're back. So, uh, how does a listener-sponsored station survive? Well, shockingly, by remembering that we're here for the listeners. The people who give you money are the people that any station is going to prioritize and whose needs are put first. This is just the way the world works. If you seek money from businesses, that is whose needs will be prioritized. If you seek to gain money and donations from rich people, that is whose needs the station will prioritize. If you seek money from listeners, then those people are those whose needs the stations will prioritize. People will pay for something that serves them. It's not easy, but it can be done. But first, people need to know about the station, need to know that there is a station that does something for them. Promotion, promotion, promotion. I remember the great story that Lloyd Richards, the black director of A Raisin in the Sun, told during the out-of-town tryouts of Raisin. They had no idea if anyone was going to see it, but after a while, lines started forming and there were lots of black people online, people who had never even seen a play before. So he was very curious. He asked an older black woman online why she was there. And she replied, I heard there was something about us going on here. Well, Pacifica needs to get out into all the communities that our programs serve to let the people know that there's something about us going on here. There are millions of people in the Pacifica listening areas who just don't know yet that they are Pacifica listeners. Instead of just speaking on the radio to those who already know about Pacifica, we have to let others know by going out to them, reaching out, and finding our audience. The specifics of that are a longer discussion, but that needs to be the starting point. Otherwise, who knows? We might soon be hearing this on our Tenants' Rights Program, Housing Notebook. Housing Notebook, brought to you by the Goodfellas Finance Corporation, offering subprime mortgages for all, servicing the community with payday loans and protection services for decades. Landlords, be sure to ask about our quick one-step removal incentive program. This is Jack Shalom for Arts Express with host Prairie Miller. This segment of Arts Express, fortunately, was not brought to you by a grant from the Milton Friedman Humor Foundation. At least, not this time. Selling out is easy to do. It's not so hard to find a buyer for you who when money talks, you're under its spell. Ah, but what do you have when there's nothing left to sell? And we'll go out now on Arts Express with Bro on the Global Television Beat, Mrs. Marvel politicizing the multiverse and rendering it asunder. The Disney Muslim Girl Superhero Series, quote, 
caught up in the studio's commodified seriality, channeling Asian hate crimes Hillary Clinton, James Bond, and Homeland Security. Okay, so first off, I just want to say, I get it. You get what? High school. Kamala. Kamala. Another adventure shirt. Cute. She thinks I'm some kind of weirdo. You are a weirdo. Boys. Excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> you're kind of on my shirt. Sorry. But you're staring out the window in your little fantasy land. Kamala. Hey. Already? Really? Come on. Like. Do I have to figure out my whole future before lunch or is like. Maybe they're right. I spend too much time in fantasy land. That is not you. It's not really the brown girls from Jersey City who save the world. That's a fantasy too. Did something happen to you? No, why? Did you hear something? Come on, love. What does it feel like? Cosmic. I always thought I wanted this kind of life, but I never imagined any of this. Do you know what you are? This is Broke on the Global Television Beat, Breaking Glass. Today's episode, Ms. Marvel, politicizing the multiverse and rendering it asunder. There are two groups that the recently concluded Disney Plus series, Ms. Marvel, may have turned off initially, but who should follow this groundbreaking series through to its end to understand its transformational and liberatory potential. The first are the usual Marvel fans who see themselves as caught up in the studio's commodified seriality where every series and film relates to each other one, and who search for Easter eggs, which identify these affinities and hint at future projects. They will find this series adds a social dimension to the studio's offerings, correcting past semi-colonial productions, i.e. the much-praised Moon Knight, and illustrating how the Phase 4 multiverse can be used not just to hook fans through its interminable complexity, Loki, but also through its ability to tell historical truths. In this case, it's a revelation of the sadness and horror of the British partition of India, marking Hindus and Muslims as enemies in the creation of Pakistan. The second group are those who believe that nothing good can ever come of the Marvel Universe, when in fact there are projects which point the way towards a better world, such as the Afrofuturism on display in the Kingdom of Wakanda in Black Panther. To that, we can add Episode 6 of Ms. Marvel and the weight of the series itself, which is, in slightly veiled form, the history of American persecution of Muslim peoples and neighborhoods post-9-11, and a recounting of the resilience of those communities in fighting back. Ms. Marvel starts out as just the usual plug for the Marvel Universe with the American teen Kamula Khan, charmingly underplayed by Iman Vellani, part of a lovingly detailed South Asian Muslim community in Jersey City who adores the Carol Danvers Captain Marvel superhero and sneaks away from her controlling Indian-Pakistani parents to go to Avengers Con. Here, her powers are revealed, flowing from a bangle, a magic bracelet, a gift from her grandmother in Pakistan. On a rooftop afterwards, she despairs of ever becoming like her idol because it's not brown girls from Jersey City who save the world, pointing up not only the dominance of whiteness, but also of the rich, such as the defense industry entrepreneur Tony Stark, or Iron Man, in the superhero genre. Elsewhere, Kamala's best friend, Nakia, Yasmin Fletcher, runs for and is elected to the board of the local mosque. Her traditional Muslim attire is complicated by her contemporary feminist approach to power sharing and her up-to-date grasp of popular culture. The character, in the words of one of the series' creators, breaks a lot of the stereotypes for hijab girls. The opening episodes are replete with the sights and sounds of Muslim culture, both traditional and Americanized, as Kamala, with her new superpowers, saves a boy from falling at an Eid al-Adha, the Muslim holy day of sacrifice and giving to the poor celebration. And Kamala's brother's wedding features a fabulous Bollywood dance number. Kamala herself 
dances around the house after meeting a dashing Muslim boy to Ronnie Spector's Be My Baby. A series written and directed and produced by an ensemble of American and British, Asian and South Asian artists, led by series creator Bisha K. Ali, then takes a dramatic turn at the midpoint as Kamala and her family are called to Karachi by her grandmother to explain her powers and a mysterious 1940s train that appears to Kamala and seems to be a part of the typical Marvel time warp multidimensional world. The series at first highlights wealthy upper-class Pakistan and takes on the look of crazy rich Asians, but a more ground-level market scene and the introduction of a more working-class group, the Red Daggers, who battle the supervillains, the clandestines, who appear from another dimension, writes this path. The series is awash in the sights and smells of the marketplace, although it then indulges in a James Bond-type colonial ravaging of the streets in a superhero-supervillain contest that is oblivious to its actual occupants. More and more American series are now venturing into the developing world with mixed or often negative results and without the grounding of the Pakistani family in Ms. Marvel. The worst was probably Marvel's preceding series, Moon Knight, which features the absurd colonial sight of the turbaned villain Ethan Hawke commandeering Egyptians to unearth a pyramid treasure right out of an utterly racist classical Hollywood film. And along with that, the schizoid flashback of the otherwise spectacularly written The Old Man, which lionizes a CIA vigilante killer allied with the most regressive elements of Afghani society, the Mujahideen. Much better was the admiring of the Lagos market and the jubilation of the wedding ceremony of the Detroit sock merchant and the Nigerian nurse in the beginning of this season's Bob Hart's Abbey Shola. Ms. Marvel, though, goes each of those one better and points to the way the Marvel multiverse might acquire meaning other than simply as time-shifting graveyard of past Marvel products. As the wind-up of the current Spider-Man trilogy, Spider-Man No Way Home, brought back the other two Spider-Men from the previous trilogies as well as their foes in what amounted to a nine-film plug for the Marvel catalog. In episode five of six, Kamala is returned using the bangle to the moment of the partition as, perched atop a train, she watches a momentous scene of people fleeing with all their possessions and attempting to clamber aboard the last way out of India for Pakistan. The episode opens with a short documentary explaining the harshness of the British decision to divide the two countries, then flashes back to a story of love between a Muslim woman and a backer of Indian independence that will finish in a tragically tearful moment that Kamala tries to write as the train is departing. And when was the last time you cried at a Marvel film or television show? Never, I reckon. The superhero villain plot is also about a partition, and it echoes the more social historical plot, as the clandestines have been separated from their dimension and home in Noor and are trying to return to it, an event which would destroy the Earth. This is standard Marvel stuff, but the point here is that the series doesn't become obsessed with it. This plot, in fact, ends in episode 5. Instead, the subject of the last episode, where Kamala and her family return to Jersey City, is the attempt to wreak havoc on the community by a government organization which is attempting to capture Kamala. Called the Department of Damage Control, DODC, the agency is clearly a stand-in for the Department of Homeland Security, and its overzealous female persecutor may be a stand-in Hillary Clinton, who boasted about destroying the Muslim country of Libya. The agents in a SWAT squad violate the mosque, which Naki explains is under surveillance even by the Department of Sanitation. Over 763 attacks on mosques have been reported since 9-11, as just after the attack, hate crimes on Muslims rose, according to the FBI, 1,617%. These attacks were given new life in 2016 by Donald Trump's statement that, I think Islam hates us. And in fact, the attacks have perhaps only receded as the war on terror gives way to great power conflict between Russia and especially China, and consequently, as Asian hate crimes peak. In her battle against the U.S. forces of order, Kamala is given her costume, a big moment in any superhero origin story, sewn by her mother, who then acknowledges her daughter's independence in a way that heals a rift in the mother-daughter relationship. The costume is ablaze with color, reflecting the splendor of Muslim female fashion, much more authentic and bounteous than the fake Captain Marvel costume she had worn at the opening. Her father later explains to her that the name Kamala in Urdu, the family's mother tongue, means Marvel, in a way that makes of her something more than just a franchise namesake. Kamala and her cohorts, who form a kind of Nancy Drew or In the Dark group, though far less cynical than those outfits, defeat the SWAT squad through their knowledge of their surroundings, as the squad with their sonic boomers invade and are foiled in the teen's high school. 
Kamala defeats the legions of federal agents with the community and even the local police cheering her on. Finally, however, she's trapped and about to be captured when the entire community comes together to save her and allow her to escape. This is a truly remarkable series and shows how the various verses, Facebook's meta and Marvel's multi, can be a space for an examination of social, cultural, and political fault lines rather than simply a commercial paradise used for advertising and marketing. The credits of the series use a form of animation over documentary shots of Jersey City and Karachi. In the final episode, they, in true Marvel fashion, are followed by a short sequence which hints at how Ms. Marvel, Kamala Khan, will be integrated into the Marvel Universe. It's hoped that that integration might involve a change in that universe so that it becomes something other than a surging, churning machine and so that Kamala Khan retains her links to her heritage and community, and in so doing, helps transform something that has become dry and aridly predictable into something fertile. Dennis Broke is the author of Birth of the Binge, Serial TV and the End of Leisure, and Diary of a Digital Plague Year, Corona Culture, Serial TV, and the Rise of the Streaming Services. He's currently working on a book titled Marvel Studios and Commodified Seriality. And this is Bro on the Global Television Beat, Signing off and breaking glass. That's all we have time for today on Arts Express, Expression in the Arts. And if you'd like to express yourself too, you can write to us at theradiogoddess at gmail.com. Until next time, this is Prairie Miller leaving the station.